Can you imagine, for just one minute, running for office? I myself have never dreamed of it. I'll always prefer being on the outside of the political conversation. But can you imagine, honestly, deciding to throw your whole life into flux, putting your name into the public eye, and running to be an elected official? No matter what level we're talking, be it city, state, or federal, just running for something has to be a completely surreal experience. Now, can you imagine winning? And not just winning, but being a newcomer to politics at 28 years old, and not just winning, but being elected as the state representative for your home district. The excitement, the disbelief, the thrill, I mean, it's impossible to even comprehend. For Anna Eskamani, she doesn't need to imagine, and thanks to Vice News, we don't either. Oh my god, yeah, we won. There's no way we cannot have won. We won. There's no way we cannot have won. I mean, I want to wait until this is 100, but like, there's no way we didn't win. There's no way we didn't win! Anna Eskamani is a 28-year-old Democrat from Orlando, Florida, who won House District 47 to serve as a state representative against Republican Stockton Reeves. She received 57.3% of the vote against his 42.7. She's a first-generation American born of Iranian immigrants, making her the first Iranian-American to ever serve in the Florida legislature. She and her twin sister were born in Orlando. Their mother passed away when they were just 13 from colon cancer. Her loss has been a driving factor for their lives since. Anna went on to attend UCF, where she received two bachelor's degrees and two master's degrees. She started working for Planned Parenthood during her college career, where she has worked for the past six years as the senior director for her region of Central Florida. A few years ago, Anna decided to take the next step and pursue a career in politics, representing her home district in Florida's House of Representatives. Anna is a Democrat and ran on a platform based on education, healthcare, and the environment. She and her sister advocated for the Trust Act, which passed in Orlando in the summer of 2018. She was on the cover of Time Magazine with other women running for office across the country, interviewed by Pod Save America, and featured in various media outlets nationwide because of her campaign. She is known on social media for her engagement with her followers, her willingness to be transparent about her personality and feelings, and her excitement about this moment in her life. I had the pleasure of sitting down and talking with her last week at her office in Orlando. So I talked about being from Florida, talking about coming, being born in Orlando, which I know you were, you were born in Orlando, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Yeah, um, East Orlando, Florida Hospital East. Nice. Now Edmund Health. We, <laughs> we talked about her start in politics, her love of Florida, and her hopes for this year's legislative session. So starting from, I know you started with uh, Planned Parenthood. I know yeah. that that was sort of the first active thing that you did, but do you have a memory of before that, even in like childhood? Yeah, I was 10 years old when I collected my first petition. Really? Mm -hmm. What was it for? To keep my best friend being moved to a different lunch period. All politics are local, Nick. <laughs> that is amazing. That's so good. When did when did that turn into something that was like act like really, really active and out there? Was it not until like college that you were thinking about it like that? So the first election I was engaged with was also when I was ten years old. Oh, and okay. that was um Gore Lieberman in two thousand. And oh, wow. that, that I was 10 years old uh -huh. and it really was my, I, I've always been a really good student. <laughs> like I just care about grades, my, a lot of pressure as an immigrant child mm -hmm. <laughs> to do well mm -hmm. in school. And my teacher at the time, you know, she had offered extra credit to follow the elections. And so, you know, my motivation was not necessarily altruistic. <laughs> I was a 10 year old trying to get good grades. And so I wanted to, you know, achieve that. But as I started reading more about the 2000 elections, mm -hmm. I was printing out the polls every day and I got just really enthralled with this process. 
And when that, when the outcome of that election came, as a 10-year-old, I was disappointed and um, really felt that Florida um, didn't shine the way that it should. And so I, I, I kind of lost touch with politics for a little bit. And it was just the same time my mom was getting sick. Mm. And in 2004, she passed away. So that was another presidential election, and I was not engaged at all. And I was just getting into high school. Um, I actually found high school theater as my safe spot. And so I did technical theater for three years Mm. at University High School, building props, costume set pieces. That's the place to do it. Oh, yeah. And it was my government teacher in 2007, Mr. Norris, Mm -hmm. alongside the election of President Barack Obama, that got me really back into politics. Sure, like having that very specific movement that was totally. that, that reshaped the whole conversation. And I was turning 18. So that was right. my first election that I, wow, I ever right. volunteered with and I ever voted in. Mm. So it was monumental in a lot of ways. And you know, in our office, we have an Obama mm. Hope poster. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was, that was transformational for me. Um, to be entering college and to see other young people rally around a campaign and a, and a vision for the future. And so when I got to UCF, I, I knew I wanted to be engaged in some sort of service. And, and a lot of this, too, is grounded in losing my mom at a young age. Mm-hmm. Like when I lost her, it, 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 to this day, it's, it's hard to of manage course. that trauma. Of course. Um, and it comes in peaks, you know, depending on what's happening around me. And, um, I made the decision when I lost her that I would honor her life, the act of empowering others. And so I've always been committed to standing up for the little guy and, and you know, calling out BS when I see mm-hmm. it. And um, when I got to UCF, I first was an environmental science major. So I was doing work with the UCF Arboretum. Wow, yeah. I'm a vegetarian, mm-hmm. aspiring vegan. So I <laughs> care a lot yeah. about ecosystems and sustainability and um, reducing our consumption of waste and mm. found myself in the boonies of UCF looking for a camera that was taking photos of endangered species so that UCF wouldn't develop that area. Yes. Very noble cause. Because mm-hmm. as I as I uh, stood there with water that was thigh high and it started raining, all I could think about was leeches. <laughs> and I was yes. like total <laughs> to- Total. No. I was like, no, I can't do this. I want to be in the field, but not this type of field. And That's, so, yeah, so I, I, I totally get that. I switched majors. I had a poli sci minor. It became my major. Mm-hmm. And then I actually picked up women's studies as a second major mm-hmm. and started getting more involved in international human rights and then met the College Democrats in summer of 2010. Right. And that's when that was a big year too, because that was when the the uh, Tea Party movement was kicking in Congress. So that was a big you got that it. was a big as sort of aftershock political pendulum shift. completely. Yeah. And what a time to get involved in politics, right? Yeah. Because especially as a as a young Democrat, you know that was another discouraging election for us. And yeah. but I found I found such a purpose, Nick, in the people who were involved, like. That's yeah. really what it came down to mm-hmm. for me. I was actually registered no party affiliation before. Me too. Up really? Un- up until this election, I was no party affiliation. There we go. So I didn't get to vote in the primaries in 2016. And again, for me, my motivation, my, my parents are both Democrats, but even when I get registered to vote, I didn't want to just do what my parents did. I right. really wanted to figure it out on my own. But seeing these, uh, my fellow college students, my, my colleagues talk about these issues, register other students to vote. That was inspirational to me to the point that even though we had such huge losses in 2014, mm-hmm. I still wanted to keep going. Mm-hmm. 
And um, my twin sister and I actually did this work together. So right. she was, um, she became president of the College Democrats at UCF. Wow. I was the vice president. That's awesome. We registered 11,000 students to vote that year. That's amazing. Um, we, we did it all. We did it all. And uh, I was the woman's caucus chair for Florida College Democrats, our right. statewide arm, and um, really just got super involved in women's issues. And, and my, my passion for, for women's empowerment and for the support of girls is also grounded in losing my mom. Because when sure. I lost her, I started reading literature about Iranian women, by Iranian mm-hmm. women, because I wanted to get to know her better. Right. It was a way to reconnect with her. Yeah. Because yeah. death ends a life, but not a relationship. Sure. And so I wanted to really understand her experiences better. Mm-hmm. I only knew her for 13 years, which is yeah. uh, something I'm internally grateful for, because some folks don't know her for any, mm-hmm. you know, and it's my job to make sure that her her... Her, her life lives on through all of us. Yeah. And um, it, reading those stories of struggle and identity, it's what really inspired me to, to care about every every woman, every woman in this country and, and what their experiences are. So I got really involved, you know, on any any forefront of women's issues, volunteering at Planned Parenthood. I was a patient at Planned Parenthood right. looking for birth control when I was 18 years mm-hmm. old and I was hired in 2012. That was, that, that was something that I, I didn't know until I was, you know, doing prep for this and and, yeah. and I saw that and it was one of those moments where I went I think a lot of p- p- people's political careers start from or just from research and just from you know seeing a common trend is that a lot of people start from doing something that is directly communicating with people and that mm. turns them from in- interested people to active people totally. people who are doing stuff totally really doing stuff well it's one reason why many women run for office too mm-hmm. it's not about a career move it's about community and I would spend hours at Planned Parenthood on Saturdays walking patients in from their cards to our front doors when we have protesters right. outside. And and I was a volunteer doing that, but even when I joined the staff, I would still come on Saturdays mm-hmm. because our admin office was closed and I wanted to help the health center staff on those on those long days, but also create a safe environment for our patients. And um, with a side by side with our volunteers, we would facilitate this escort program. But you know, there, I don't you know talk about empathy. I mean, I, don't, I think people make a lot of assumptions about about a person who makes the decision to end a pregnancy. Sure. And you have moms who can't find daycare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they bring their whole family with them. And, and I would open up the admin office so that we could put on cartoons and mm-hmm. the families could just be together in that environment mm-hmm. while, you know, um, while a patient made her decisions with the counsel of her family, of her of her health, with her God and so forth. And so I just, you know, I, d- I developed a deep sense of empathy and, and, and love for women who are so brave to make this decision. And, and we need more voices like that in Tallahassee. We need yeah. more people who like can relate to these lived experiences because you will you would not support some of these offensive bills if you actually could put yourself in someone else's shoes. Um, you mentioned the legislature coming up, which yeah. uh, my first question about that is, are you like excited about that? Because I can't <laughs> even imagine, I can't even imagine that moment where oh you're talking, you're, you know, you're campaigning for it. You, you, you win the election, you're yeah. preparing for it. And yeah. now it's March 1st. <laughs> it's coming up. And it's Tuesday. Like yeah. it's, it's yeah. coming. Like, is that enthralling or is it, is it just like this crazy? Cause it's like, yeah. is it surreal? It's very surreal. Yeah. It's very, it's very surreal. 
again, to come from that advocate background, you know, I never saw myself being the one with the, with the opportunity to help make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, someone who's watched the Florida channel for years. Right. And now, and now it's like, oh, wait, like I'm on the Florida yes, channel. You're on the news <laughs> all the time. I know. It's so. You were on the news last night. I was watching the news and I was like, wait, it's hey. so weird. It's yeah. so weird. And, and, and something I will, I will never take for granted. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, I try to be so accessible and so responsive. Even this morning I was at the winter park, um, Panera bread mm-hmm. on park Ave, which is like the place to be. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Everybody's and always there. Totally. Totally. And so, you know, as I was sitting there, it was so funny. I had to renew my, um, support of WCF TV right my my car was compromised and I had to renew it oh, and I so I, I know too. so I called them and the woman put it the phone was like so sweet and kind to me and so excited that I called and then I get off the phone with her and this gentleman with a couple next to me mm-hmm. like, oh, are you representative Escamani and I'm like I am and they started showing me that they voted for me and you know and tell me tell me to kick ass this session that's great and the fact that our constituents have an understanding of this mm-hmm. is thrilling. Like yeah. I am so excited that constituents know what session is. Right. And I can't help but feel that that's part of our magic. That's part right. of us talking about session. Yes. You know, right now we're doing this online countdown to session because mm-hmm. we want our constituents to know, like, you elected me and I'm honored, but let me make sure you know exactly what my job the is. Full clarity about the process. Yeah, is so, there something is there something mm. really cool about like Florida itself in terms of that? Like, do you think that there's a change in the mentality of Floridians and sort of becoming more active? So I think there is an elevated expectation, Nick. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think that's in large part to the evolution of social media Mm -hmm. and every outlet has its different audience. Mm -hmm. Like Facebook is definitely more of an older demographic. Mm -hmm. Instagram is a very young demographic. Mm -hmm. Twitter tends to be the more people with more efficacy, people who know the process better. And I, I, I'm consistent on like all platforms, yeah. you know, and that's part of me being transparent. So if right. I'm going to make a snarky comment in one platform, <laughs> I'm like, well, let me make sure the snarkiness is everywhere. everywhere. Spread it around. Yes. <laughs> Nobody needs to miss out on this. And so being a part of that too is like, I don't want people to think I'm communicating, you know, in one, in one right. world Just differently. one specific sort of Ex- bubble. Exactly. And, and that's, and I, and I think that there's an expectation that, my elected officials need to tell me what's going on mm-hmm. so I can engage with them. And I remember I was at an event in Lake Yola and two folks walked up to me who live in a different district, but they, they follow us on Twitter. Yeah. And they were asking me about their representative because they were not very active on social media. So they were worried. What, what, what are they doing? And I was like, well, don't worry. You know, they're not as as engaged social media as we are. And I know when they get an intern, they probably will be. Mm-hmm. So again, this evolution of expectations of your elected wow. official, you know, I think more and more Floridians want their elected official to be accessible, want them to share the story online, want to have a two-way mm-hmm. engagement. Because historically in politics, it's very much been a transactional conversation mm-hmm. where it's it's the politician throwing information at you, but not taking the information back and having a sure. dialogue. And I don't practice that. I, I practice what, what, what I like to call transformational politics, which means that I give with that expectation Hoping that by living through through the example of good intent and empathy that it will inspire you to join me in action. Right. 
And, 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 and we practice that in every way possible. And I, and I think that's been one, one reason why we, we stand out a lot mm. is, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not in a space to cut deals. Like I'm in the space to change lives. Mm-hmm. And that requires your full engagement in the process. Right. Obviously, the first two months of, I guess it's been two months now, the first two months of DeSantis's uh, term as yeah. governor, for me at least, have been very surprising. He did a oh, lot yes. of things that I was not oh, yes. anticipating. Uh, things, I mean, things that he spoke on that he was interested in in the campaign, but definitely not things that I was anticipating um, yeah. happening, especially that quick. What was your reaction to that? Does it does it, does it give you hope? Does it give you it's excitement? Really, I love that question. I do. And I've heard it from a lot of um, sure. HD 47 constituents too. Like, you know, what are your thoughts on this? So, so I think that the bar was very low with mm-hmm. Governor Rick Scott. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that, you know, Governor DeSantis um, is, is even willing to consider public opinion, I think is refreshing <laughs> for a lot of us. I, Scott Maxwell, I think Scott Maxwell was the person who said uh, DeSantis is doing something impressive by uh, not being dumb. There and we I was go. Like, Thank there you, we Scott. go. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the bar was low for us. Mm-hmm. And. And the fact that, you know, there's some sense of responsiveness, I think, is positive. Um, so, you know, I will always celebrate and give credit when credit's due. And and I and I honor the environmental efforts that, that he has put a line in the sand for. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, some of his removals from these uh, water district boards were important, too. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm, I have to express caution because... Just this past week, he's facilitating anti-immigrant rhetoric. Um, since day one, he has been leading the charge on appointing Richard Corcoran, who is probably one of the most anti-public education leaders you'll find in the state, uh, to the commissioner of education. Now he's commissioner of education, and they're they're really leading the role on pushing more public dollars away from public schools and towards private voucher system so you know celebrate you know i'm a firm believer in building bridges when you can but holding people and corporations accountable when you must yeah and so i honor those efforts and um and i'm excited for those efforts but at the same time uh, we cannot we cannot be blinded by you know these these other initiatives that really are hurtful at an intersectional lens because mm-hmm. at the end of the day the environment is absolutely important but when you are demonizing the immigrants who are working in our farms um, when you're, when you're, um, you know, actively creating an, an educational environment that leaves behind our public school children, um, then you're you're creating an an, an unjust ecosystem, right. and where only a few are going to succeed. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I I push back against that and really encourage all of us to to be on guard, to speak our truth, and to hold every politician accountable to um, the issues that they pursue. I know that you uh, and a couple of other uh, House Democrats pitched a bunch of or filed a bunch of bills about guns, about gun laws, things like that. I know that you've also uh, done the the rent conversation that just happened. Yes. Was that yesterday that that first yesterday. came out? Because that, that took the whole media conversation by storm <laughs> and all that. But um, I, I was wondering, like, what do you think, is, what is the conversation yeah. in this legislature that you're most hoping mm, to be having? That's such a great question. So I, there's top... There are three top issues that I feel like we're going to have some movement on that this district really cares mm-hmm. about. Um, and of course, there's so many topics and subjects right. that are a priority of leadership, including healthcare, yeah. um, uh, including, <laughs> I, I'm hopeful that conversation also includes remote commerce. You know, mm-hmm. I, I try my best to build relationships so we can lead on some key issues. 
Um, but there's there's three that come to mind that this district really cares about that I think we'll see movement on. One is arts and culture funding. Mm. Uh, you know, we've led um, myself, Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith. Uh, have led the charge early on this year on that conversation and it has set a new tone in Tallahassee where when you talk about arts and culture funding you don't necessarily have to defend its importance many legislators are nodding their heads in agreement so I'm, I'm hopeful about that I'm hopeful about mental health funding seems to be consensus on across party lines that we need to do better Florida ranks 40 out of 50 on mental health funding. Mississippi spends more money than we do on mental health. I mean, oh, we can do better uh, than sweet Mississippi. Um, and then I also I also feel um, that when it comes to issues of the environment, we're going to see mm-hmm. some movement on. You know, Governor DeSantis has really set a tone on um, the, imp- the importance of the environment, yeah. and and I think that will that will resonate with the legislature. Um, and actually, I'll, I'll throw a fourth one in there too: affordable housing. Yeah. I, I, I affordable housing is so much in the conversation, grounded around protecting the um, the Sadowski Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned because though the governor has stated yeah. he wants it fully funded, which was which was very interesting and very exciting Absolutely. when the budget came out with that information. Well, and a, you know, a governor's budget is very much the governor setting setting their tone, right? But it's it's also kind of you know it's it's also PR at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So you have to you have to. I, mean, I hate to be cynical about it, but you no, really I, I, have I totally to fight for everything, mm-hmm. you know. And and into that case, the, the, I've not heard. You know, one, a member of leadership commit to that, right. and so I, I, we have to keep the, you know, keep the um, the drumbeat on that issue, and and really create a lot of noise around it, and hold our legislators accountable to it. So, um, so those are those are four issues that I feel like we might actually see some bipartisan movement yeah. on. And of course, you know, we're leading on issues like gun safety, women's issues. Um, we've done a few affordable housing, is, mm-hmm. you know, bills ourselves, rent control included. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if those will move this session, but I think the conversation is one that must be had. Right. And we can't be afraid of special interests who don't want us to talk about these things. And that's really what it comes down to a lot is that. You know, special interests are scared of the public, and I love the public. I want the public to know everything that's happening, even if we disagree. I, I want to have that dialogue. Um, and so I'm really honored to um, be a facilitator of these conversations because I, I think it, it moves the narrative in a direction mm-hmm. that that needs to go. I like that last part a lot. Agree or disagree with the representative's politics, I think we can all agree that an open and straightforward politician is an ideal of sorts having dialogue with others as an ideal, a relationship between the public and their elected officials is ideal. And with that in mind, hopefully, Florida can get more representatives like Ana Eskamani in the very near future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes, the Floridian podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or have a suggestion for one, please leave me an email at wait5minutespodcast at gmail.com. I've received some fantastic suggestions from listeners and would love to hear any that you have. You can also reach me at Wait5Minutes on Twitter and at Wait5MinutesPodcast on Instagram. The links for those are in the description below. Please consider leaving the show a rating or a review. I know I say this every week, but positive ratings make little shows like this one grow. We could get on charts or something, and it would really mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. All the music is from Lobo Loco. The titles are in the description below. The sound clip you heard at the very beginning is from Vice News, and all additional information about the representative comes from her website or from Ballotpedia.org.
Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with a brand new adventure into Florida's weird and wonderful history, along with an announcement of the lineup for the next few weeks. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. And please drink more water. Have a great weekend.